So now our kids will have the opportunity to um, head out to Shore Hope Kids if that's what they uh, if that's what they do. Um, so we'll pray for them now. Walk in. Heavenly Father, thank you that our children share in the blessings that we have. Help us to see them too as people grasped in your hands and help us to help them to continue to prioritize your word and your voice in their lives. Amen. All right, I'm going to apologize in advance for any antisocialness of myself today. I do have a cold, so if I don't come up and shake your hands afterwards, it's just me avoiding passing on germs. Um, but we're going to be looking at John 10, and it's a question of having the right day to ask a question. Um, I sort of feel that I had the wrong day to propose to Jocelyn. I, I think I picked the wrong day. So it, it was the October public holiday, Labor Day, um, down in New South Wales, and I had this wonderful plan. Um, I was going to pick up Jocelyn from Newtown, where she was living, and we were going to drive up the Blue Mountains... And we're going to go to the Prince's Rock Lookout, which is um, a beautiful spot. It looks back on Wentworth Falls. It's a really lovely location, and I thought that was the perfect place to propose to Jocelyn. Well, it all started with the rain. Um, getting Jocelyn from Newtown, we get in the car, and it's cloudy. As we're driving along the highway, the rain starts. By the time we're ascending the mountain, it is bucketing. And I'm thinking, this is not looking very promising. Uh, we get to the car park at Wentworth Falls and we just happen to hit a break in the rain. So I thought, okay, here's our space. So we go out. Unfortunately, a busload of tourists also thought this was the perfect spot at which to duck out of their bus and go and look at the beautiful views. And so here we are, I'm sort of trying to linger and dilly-dally, just waiting for the right moment. Eventually, the crowd clears and, and the rain stays off. And so I hand Jocelyn the umbrella and nearly poke out her eye in the process. And I, I don't quite get down on one knee because I didn't want to get my jeans wet. And I propose. <laughs> Thankfully, she said yes. Um, but as romantic proposals go, I really could have picked a better day. Of course, I, I imagine many of the kids here might guess what the perfect day, in most people's opinion, would be to propose to someone. Anyone want to guess what day that would be? When would, you, when would you think is the right time to propose to somebody? Valentine's Day, that's the one. That's apparently, of the 365 days of the year, right, 21% of engaged or married couples, so nearly a fifth, or more than a fifth, of couples get engaged on Valentine's Day. So there you are, that is the perfect day. And likewise, in this passage... The Jews think that the right day for Jesus to reveal that he's the Messiah is this moment here in John 10. It's the Feast of Dedication, which um, I imagine if you're like me, you're not really familiar with. Remember back in chapter 7, Jesus' family thought that the Feast of Tabernacles would be the perfect opportunity. The Feast of Tabernacles was that moment when, when um, remembering God leading his people out from Egypt through the desert, looking after them all that time and bringing them to the promised land. But that was what the Feast of Tabernacles was about. But the seasons change, it's winter, and we don't think of the Feast of Dedication. But if I said Hanukkah, I imagine you have a bit more of an idea of when we're talking about. 
This was the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. And Hanukkah remembered something you won't find in the Old Testament. It remembered a moment in Israel's history between the Testaments when the Greeks invaded Jerusalem. And they, they even got into the temple. They desecrated the temple. But God allowed the Jews to fight back. And they managed to clear the temple out and they managed to hold the temple as a bit of a fortress and rededicate it to God. So the whole a candle lighting ceremony is remembering these days where the oil didn't run out in the temple um, and God kept them safe. So you can see it's, it's a really poignant moment when it comes to being rescued. A moment when you're waiting for God to rededicate not just the temple but all of Israel back to him. It's a great festival for it. And the Messiah was the person that everyone was waiting to do this because God had promised Israel this king, this Messiah, who would rescue Israel. He'd, he'd be a descendant of David and he wouldn't just rededicate the temple, he'd clean up the entire nation. That is why, in verse 22, the Jews' question makes a lot more sense than anyone, like I pick it up initially, I think, why are they doing this? Let's have a look. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, it's an obvious question for that day, except it shows they haven't been watching, doesn't it? Because Jesus has been showing he's the Messiah all along. He's done the miracles you'd expect of God's king. Healing, providing food and drink. That's what God did through Moses. It's what God's known for. It's what you'd expect of the Messiah. But more than that, only last week, Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. That is classic Messiah language. Because for starters, David was the shepherd, wasn't he? The original David, um, he came from the shepherd boy, defeated Goliath, ended up king of Israel. And then when God picked up this promise of, of rededicating the nation to himself, it was a picture of shepherding that was a big one. Ezekiel 34, verse 22, is one classic example where God promised, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And so Jesus tells these Jewish leaders, the problem isn't his clarity. The problem is who they are. They're not his sheep. Verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you that I'm the Messiah, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus said when he healed the blind man, isn't it? These people are Jews, but they're not God's people, not his sheep, because otherwise they'd recognize his voice. That's why they're missing, not recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus goes on to say they're missing out. They're missing out on life, missing out on security. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. God's sheep are safe in Jesus' hands, 
God's sheep are safe in the Father's hands. It sounds like two separate statements. It sounds like maybe Jesus is confused because how could someone be in two separate pairs of hands? But they're not separate because, verse 30, I and the Father are one. See, revealing that he's the Messiah, that wasn't enough. Jesus wants them to know that he is God, one with God the Father because he does what God does. Now, this is one of those big passages that show how God is Trinity. God is three in one. Now, um, this is not a picture of God. This is explaining the, the sort of the relationships that we need to understand and be clear on when we talk about God being Trinity. So, what does the Trinity mean? It means that God the Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet Jesus is not the Father, Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Father is not the Spirit. Three different persons, profoundly united as one God, distinct but united. Now that might sound very complex, but John 10 shows us what it looks like. It means one action with two actors. To be protected by Jesus is to be protected by his Father. And if we look elsewhere in the Bible, you, you find that constantly is the theme that's constantly what you discover um, so three persons act in one action think about creation the father speaks the world into existence by and for his son and the spirit is there hovering over the waters bringing life and breath to to the created human or when jesus comes to earth he's he's sent by the father He's born as a human and he's empowered by the Spirit to be at work. In fact, at this baptism, at his baptism, you see all three, don't you? The Father speaking his word of affirmation to the Son as the Spirit descends as a dove. Or, what about when Jesus is dealing with our sin on the cross? Well, once again, Jesus is on the cross, but he's doing his Father's will by the Spirit's power. Three persons always united because they're one God. And if all that theology is a bit too heavy for you, here is the good news. This is why it matters. It makes us safe. If you're someone who's heard Jesus' voice and you're following him, then nothing can take you from him. Uh, Calvin has a great quote about this passage. Calvin was a well-known Christian thinker in the 16th century. He says it well. This is a remarkable passage by which we are taught that the salvation of all the elect is not less certain than the power of God is invincible. Nothing can take you from Jesus' hands. No natural catastrophe, no human threat, no demonic power in fact, not even your own sin. Listen again to Calvin. In this world, they, Jesus' sheep, may be said to be in the midst of a forest, surrounded by innumerable robbers, and are not only unarmed and exposed as a prey, but are aware that the cause of death is contained in themselves. So that relying on the guardianship of God alone, they may walk without alarm. You know what he's meaning, don't you? It's not just the outside threats, it's often that we feel so weak. 
Uh, we worry whether we'll make it because there's so much pressure at home, so many sad moments in life, and worse, there is that ongoing sin. And you can go for years having said no to temptation only to find yourself weak and giving in again. It is really wonderful to know that your eternal life, life forever with God, doesn't depend on my strength holding on to God, but on his strength holding on to me. It's a beautiful passage. But what do you do if you're not his sheep? Because that's, that's actually the point of this passage, isn't it? Jesus' main point is, he's the Messiah, but these Jews don't see it because they're not his sheep. I had a friend who sort of understood this passage. Um, he, he, he knew about this whole concept, and he said, look, there you go. That's my problem. I'm not his sheep. That's why I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you've got to keep reading. Because the invitation is always open to be a sheep. Look how Jesus treats these people. He just said they aren't his sheep and their reaction proves it, doesn't it? Because when he claims that he's one with the Father, they want to kill him. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Jesus tries to persuade him by pointing at his works as evidence. He wants to give evidence that what he said is not unreasonable. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for your any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, there's their real problem. How could a human being be God? It's, it's ridiculous. If you're a Greek, you know it's ridiculous, because you have this concept that there's the, the perfect world up there, the world of ideals, and this world is all changeable and uncertain, and there's no way that the God that gods can really inhabit the world down here. Or, or there's a challenge for Muslims today, isn't it? How could perfect God live in an in, in imperfect world? Impure. Or even for atheists. Isn't it just a ridiculous concept to say that, that the infinite God somehow becomes finite as a human? But Jesus says... Look, it's not nonsense in the Bible because of who humans are. People were made in God's likeness. We were made to rule the world the way God rules the world. We were made to reflect him. And so that's why he quotes Psalm 82. We read it earlier. But the whole point of the psalm is God is rebuking people he made to rule. It, it doesn't really matter. I won't go into the who the people are. The point is... They were, were, were given the responsibility to be like God, but they've blown it. Have a look at the first couple of verses. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? God made people to rule like God does, and so he's willing to call them lowercase g, gods. And so Jesus says, look, it's not impossible for God to be human. If, if I am from heaven, if I do what God does, how much more right have I to be called God's son? Listen to how Jesus says it in verse 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? 
If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. See, as humans, sin cuts us off from God. We, we, we rule the world badly. We've made an absolute mess, but we were made for so much more. Humans are supposed to be like God, to reflect his image. And that's why God can become man. That's why Jesus can be both fully God and fully man. Because humans were made for much better things. And so Jesus goes on and he urges these Jews to change their attitude. Even though he said they're not his sheep, he doesn't give up on them. He keeps persuading them, arguing with them. Look at my works, he says. Even if you don't like me, even if you want to dismiss me personally, look at the evidence and weigh it up and realize who I am. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again they tried to seize him but he escaped their grasp. See, the invitation is open to anyone. Just because Jesus said earlier that these people are not his sheep doesn't stop him from urging them to respond. He still invites you. It doesn't matter if you have in the past rejected Jesus. It doesn't matter if in the past you've acted like he is not any, any consequence. That doesn't stop the invitation from you now to respond to Jesus. Check out the evidence become his sheep because the people you least expect can end up following jesus back in chapter four it was the samaritans here it's these people living across the jordan they are further from the temple than these jews are but they remember john's teaching and they believe verse 40 then jesus went back across the jordan to the place where john had been baptizing in the early days and there he stays and many people came to him and i said though john never performed a sign all that john said about this man was true and in that place, many believed in Jesus. So there you have it. That, that's the end of John 10. We've seen that God's sheep are in safe hands and that the invitation is always open. So what should we do? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you to trust the Trinity. Uh, rather than thinking of the Trinity as this awkward embarrassment sort of this tricky bit of christian theology that just comes up at the most awkward times when you're talking to non-christians i want you to enjoy the trinity as wonderful comfort to really relish in the relationship it gives you with god because for starters the, the trinity says god is relationship god is love it's actually built into who he is he is three persons perfectly united god didn't need to create us because he was lonely or needed to experience love love is built into who god is three people forever eternally mutually concerned for each other that's god three people working together as one three persons sorry i'm, I'm being very slack with my language there sorry God didn't need us to be loved, but God draws us into that loving relationship. Draws us into an eternal safe space, into a relationship that can't be broken, a secure relationship, a relationship like you've never known before. Most of us have experienced broken relationships, haven't we? 
broken marriages, betrayals of trust. Here is a relationship. And Jesus says, if you trust in him, you are safe. Protected by our King Jesus, protected by our Creator God, protected by the Spirit because he's the guarantee of our future and the power that keeps us trusting him. And what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to to see all of your Christian life in this Trinitarian way because it is such a delight to know I relate to God as as Trinity. So when, when I'm praying, here I am, I'm speaking to the Father because he's the giver of every good gift through the son because i have no right to make these requests of god except because of his death and i do it by the spirit's enabling because i know my prayers are such a mess and he takes those messy prayers and he makes them acceptable and perfect or what about when i'm longing to be holy and live an obedient life to god well i'm seeking to obey the father listen to his commands i trust in jesus resurrection to say that my sins have been dealt with And I look to the Spirit to take that resurrection life and make it effective in me now that I might have the power to do what God tells me to do. Time and again, I could keep going, but my point is you can trust the Trinity, you can learn to live life delighting in the relationship you have with God, secure because God is at work, three persons in one, giving you a relationship, real secure relationship. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. The other one is don't give up. Don't give up. The invitation to believe in Jesus is always open. Don't give up on the person who has, seems to be rejecting God. Now, you don't know whether she is one of God's sheep or not, do you? Jesus here doesn't let the declaration that you're not my sheep, that's, he doesn't let that stop him from inviting again. And so keep praying for the people you love. Keep praying for those people who just seem so hard to Jesus. Keep inviting them to church. Invite them to our Easter banquet in April or um, invite them next Sunday. Or, or maybe just invite them to read the Bible with you. Jesus always made the invitation. Don't give up on people who don't look like they're trusting in Jesus. And the other thing is, don't give up if you think you're not a Christian. If you're here today and you think, look, I've already rejected God or maybe I've done something really that offends him, maybe you have rejected God at this stage but he may not have rejected you. Maybe that's why you're here. Don't write Jesus off and move on. Make sure you've investigated his works. That's what he's urging you to do. Have you read a biography of his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Have you read the story of who Jesus is and investigated what he's claiming to be? Don't give up listening. And can I suggest you don't give up praying? Have you prayed to God? Have you asked him to show you who he is? That would be a really good prayer. Are you even open to the possibility that God is there and that he might be offering you life? He is inviting you into this really safe relationship. So I'm going to finish now and I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I'm actually going to pray each line and pause. And I'm going to invite you in your own mind, if you hear what I'm saying and you would like to ask it of God, if you'd like to ask him to reveal himself to you, I'm going to invite you to pray after me.
So how about we do that now? I'll pray a line and pause and you can repeat the line after me if that's what you want to say to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please show me who you are. Show me Jesus. Show me what it means that he is God. Help me to see his good works. Show me how they are your works. Your invitation to be safe sounds wonderful. Give me the reasons to accept it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today is one of those great Sundays in the year. We do them about every six weeks where we get to share the Lord's Supper together.